Hello, good people. Welcome to The Chris Stefanik Show, the show that helps you find the joy that God made you for in the midst of everyday life. Don't miss us every week as we dive into real issues with real people and answer real questions. God bless you. No more appropriate way to start this year than by talking about hope. We start looking ahead, but what we really should look ahead to is heaven. And when you have the right vision for the ultimate future, it reorders everything in your life. So we're going to dive into Pope Benedict XVI, who we recently lost, to his encyclical, Space Salvi, on hope with a man who has stolen every homily by reading Pope Benedict XVI and plagiarizing my pastor, Father Brian Larkin. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. <laughs> Father Brian Lark. Good to be here, buddy. I love you, man. Love you too. Thanks for having me. You know it's true, though. It's absolutely. I, you know, what do they say? Um, it's Mark Twain, I think, says like, "Good writers borrow, great writers outright steal." So, <laughs> so that's what I do. There's a couple people I steal from, and Pope Benedict's at the top of the list. There, there is a, um, there's a spirit in his writing, you know, that is really closely resembles how your your voice in in, in homiletics and the way you preach. And that's yeah. that's maybe the highest compliment I give on thank a, a you because there's um you could tell he's not just it just hammering truths home he's receptive to that truth at the same time it's moving him as he writes and that's how you preach well I appreciate that yeah. I mean that's high praise he's uh, someone I look up to tremendously and really one of the great figures of the 20th century and uh, when I first discovered Pope Benedict you know Joseph Ratzinger at the time you start to encounter the depth of the Christian tradition and he kind of embodied that, you know? He was like a living, breathing Catholicism. Some might say that's true of you. It's, I wouldn't. Oh, God bless but, you. No, it's painful to hear you say because yeah. it's like, gosh, I miss him. There's, like an, know, there's right? an era that he represents to people who grew up in Generation John Paul II. Yes. That, like, I, I, I took him for granted, the amount of influence yes, he had man. on the church as a right-hand man of John Paul II and then as Pope. It's like, that's most of my childhood and young adulthood was... Benedict influenced whether or not I knew it. That's right. Yeah, and he, he preferred really, I think, to be hidden behind the scenes. John Paul was yeah. so charismatic. Yeah. And Benedict wasn't the same way. But he was such a man of depth of prayer and of intellect. Mm. I, one thing I always think of with Pope Benedict, um, when Jesus gives the great commandment, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your mm. strength. <clears throat> and sometimes, you've probably heard me say it, I joke in homily sometimes. You know, you probably have never said to your wife, you know, honey, I love you with all my mind. <laughs> you know, yeah. We don't yeah. say that much. No, you're right, yeah. But he is a great image of someone who loved God with his mind. Wow. Uh, his mind was filled with this kind of love for God, and he used his mind to, to worship God, to pursue him, uh, to praise him. A and, lot of people think of, like, the, the intellectual life as a side project to my relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Or as almost a necessary evil. You know, like, here's the preachy stuff and the inspirational stuff, but, well, you have to learn this catechetical stuff on the side. Yeah. It's like, no, that's what your mind was made for. Yeah. And it's tied into the love. And it does. It drips out of his writings. It does. It's like you could tell this is, he's in love yeah. while he's writing. Yeah, and it's not, <clears throat> I think a distinction I love to make sometimes is that Benedict is a great example of being a Christian doesn't mean being smart, mm. but it does mean that the way you think is formed by Christ. Mm. And that's all over the New Testament. St. Paul loves to write about that. Mm. Romans chapter 8 has a lot about that. Romans 12. Uh, one of my favorites, 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, um, 
we have the mind of Christ, mm. right? We just, we think the way Jesus thinks. And I love it when you mm. encounter um, a writer who's not just intelligent, but someone who thinks the way Jesus thinks. Wow. You walk away, and I, I think we, we've talked about this. Oh, yeah. You read Space Alvi, you walk away, and you're not just like, I learned something. You walk away thinking, I love God more than I did before I read this. Yeah. Right? I, it literally felt like, uh, and by the way, you have to read Space Alvi. Yes. Please, if, I, if you don't get anything else from this, this conversation, yes. which you could probably already tell, like I don't even care if people are watching this yeah. one. This is just, I love diving and like, geeking out on this stuff. Yeah. You have to read this. It's like 90 pages. You could read it in one day. Uh, if you're, if you're a, a celibate, you could read it in, in one day. Celibacy <laughs> <laughs> required for fast reading. That's right. Yeah. If, you're, if you have kids bothering you all the time, you can read it in one to two weeks. But really, it's, it goes down so easy. Uh, before we dive into that more, though, um, share a little about your thoughts about like the, how he influenced the church in the past you know, 40 years. I mean, there's been a lot yes. of turmoil and a yes. lot of up and down since Vatican II. He's, he's one of the great minds that shaped Vatican II, but also helped us implement it with the right spirit. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Pope Benedict, so <clears throat> if you've been paying attention to the news, a lot of people out there are talking about him right now. And, of course, the secular media is very shallow in their treatment mm -hmm. of him. But Benedict is, along with John Paul II, one of the giants of the church in the last century. And so he, he went to Vatican II as a peritus, is what it's called, an expert advisor. And he helped write some of the documents of Vatican II. Dei Verbum, which is about the Word of God, is what that means in Latin, and how God reveals himself. And Dei Verbum is not about scripture per se, it's about Jesus as revelation, mm -hmm. the one who reveals the Father. Mm -hmm. So he, he influenced Vatican II. Uh, he comes to be friend John Paul II. They didn't meet at the council, actually. They met later. Uh, Benedict was a man uh, deeply formed by this 20th century. Yeah. So you saw the World Wars, um, especially, of course, World War II. Uh, he saw the council. He saw all the turmoil before and afterwards. And I think with a lot of great Catholics, we want to be with Jesus. Mm. And Pope Benedict, at different points in his life, was disliked kind of from both ends of the spectrum. But he didn't care. He was like, I am with Jesus. I'm with the church. And I, I take a deep breath because like, I care. Yeah. I don't want to care. I know, me neither. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, we all care a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, totally. But he did a very good job of being detached from that. Mm -hmm. And how did he influence the church? Well, his, I think of Benedict as, uh, he wasn't a creative thinker in the sense of new theology, coming up with new ideas that no one's ever heard of before. But Benedict was like this repository of, here's the Catholic faith walking mm -hmm. around right here. Mm -hmm. And he was so deep in the tradition that he could see from a, a really high perspective. And so with the council and with all that's happened in the 20th century, he was able to kind of say, here's where the church is at historically, mm. theologically, and ground things and keep them in, he would say, the hermeneutic of continuity. The meaning, hermeneutic of continuity. Yeah, that's a big phrase. Just a nerd. I am a but nerd. But I love you. You're my nerd. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Meaning, right, that there wasn't... Your interpretive lens is like you're not breaking with exactly. the past, right? That's exactly right. And so yeah. a lot of people want to say Vatican II was this great rupture with what went beforehand. And Benedict, along with John Paul II, the two of them worked to say, no, this is, this is the church moving in time, and it's continuous. Mm -hmm. mm. So there's continuity. So he, and, and not to put political uh, phrases or, or terms on things, but he really mm -hmm. did... 
uh, he was an answer to the left-leaning church that wanted to break with the past and saying, let's, you know, the church after Vatican is going to be completely different and, yes. and radically liberal and breaking all the rules and finding freedom in that. Yep. And, then, and then an answer to the hard right, yep. uh, which seeks the, the, to preserve traditions without a spirit uh, of relationship with Jesus, yep. uh, but prioritizes above all external things. Um, and, and I think that's becoming more of a problem now than it was immediately after Vatican II. It's almost like, sure. a, it's like a wave going in the opposite direction. Can you share a little bit how you think how he, he did that, how he answered both that right and the left, and, and frankly, how we should stand with him on the shrinking island of um, normal people in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Everybody, that, that's maybe a mean word to use. But you know what I'm talking about. I do, yeah. I, the image for me is the incarnation. So yeah. <clears throat> the church, when, when Christ became a man, he, uh, something eternal that's beyond words and unchanging, right? So mm. sometimes more kind of, for lack of a better word, conservative Catholics uh, tend to think of continuity and they want to hold on to that. Mm. And there's truth in that. Yeah. And then when we think of kind of maybe more liberal Catholics, if we want to use that word, they tend to like change. Mm. Well, think of the incarnation. Mm. So in the incarnation, God, who is unchanging, eternal, perfect, beyond anything we could ever understand, he entered time. Mm. And, and so all through church history, there's an interaction of those two things. There's mm. the eternal things that can never change, right? There are parts of our faith that cannot change. It's impossible mm. for them to change. The, the Eucharist as the heart of the church can never change. Uh, dogmatic teachings of the church cannot change. Uh, but the church lives in time. And it has to be mm. relatable in the 4th century, in the 12th, yeah. in the 21st. And Benedict, people caricature him as uh, kind of a rigid, harsh, mm -hmm. hardliner. Yeah. They don't know him when they say that. Oh, totally. And when you read, like, this comes across in Space Alvi, but... Nothing could be further from the truth. The man had a warmth and a love and a vitality that he's is uncommon. Shy. He's almost shy in the amount of humility he had. Yeah, that's right. Right? And yeah. he was shy. Archbishop Shapu shared that he was, he met him and he's like, he was so evidently shy, even as Pope. Yeah. Uh, he, he, you could tell he didn't love the limelight. Yeah, yeah. He was not someone Kind of like me. I just, just can't like stand you. I know. You, you looking hate, at me. I seen you at like, you know, parties where you don't talk to anybody. You yeah, just kind of so just yeah. hide in the corner. It's awful. Yeah. But, yeah. but he, so Benedict, though, um, you would see both sides. So he would fight vigorously, and this is what we should all be. He would fight yeah. vigorously for the things that cannot change, mm. but he would do it in a spirit of charity and love. Um, and then he would also look for ways, where are ways that we can grow as a church? Where, what are things that we could do to do a better job of reaching out to Orthodox Christians? Yeah. What are the things we can do to reach out to Protestant Christians? And, and, and things to reach out to... Um, uh, Pius X Society, which he, exactly. he tried to do. Like, exactly. no one was being written off. You yes. know, it, it, we seem to have um, trends within church leadership where it's like, it's okay to hate a certain group. It's like, no, yes. no, no. If we're going to go after the fringes, it's everybody. Yes. Everybody who's, who's leaning away from the church. No, that's so true. And Benedict yeah. wanted to be a voice. And this is part of the papacy. The papacy yeah. as, a, as the vicar of Christ on earth, the Pope is meant to be the, the representative of Jesus to everyone. Yeah. Not to one group or another, but to everyone. And yeah. Benedict did a great job of that. And he would talk to atheistic kind of society and invite it to reflect on his own experience mm. of life and to search for God. And then he would talk yeah, to the, uh, the SSPX, the Society of St. Pius X, mm. that was in schism. Uh, he would deal with people from all kinds of um, just 
competing ideologies. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think there's no shortcut to wisdom. Yeah. Because people want to say, it. I know, don't you want there to be a shortcut to <laughs> yes. wisdom? Just be like this or just be like this. Well, yeah. you have to have wisdom. And, and Benedict was a man of, of profound wisdom. He knew when to be hard and he knew when to be soft. Mm. He knew when to really dig in his heels and he knew when to come to the middle. And, and I think a lot of it, I mean, to, to dive into this encyclical, yes. uh, I think a lot of it was rooted in his own hope. You know, he had this personal tie with Jesus that comes through his writings. His, you could tell that when he dealt with the stuff of his age and, and having to stand up for truth, it didn't come from wanting to put people in their place. Correct. Or pound his chest and be like, I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. It came from like, well, I'm going to face my final judgment someday. Yep. And if this comes at great cost to me to say this, I'm doing it anyway. Because yep. I have to. Because yep. I'm going to stand before God. Um, so what blew your mind while you are reading Space Ave? So many things. So I've I read it again for I don't know fourth or fifth time. And oh, well, this is my second only. It's so and it just renewed in me so many things. Yeah. Um, probably my favorite, just one liner off the top of my head, is he has a section on heaven, like you mentioned. Yeah. And he talks about how there's this contradiction in our attitudes, mm. where none of us wants to die. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes we don't want to live for eternity either. Yes. Right. Yeah. It, that idea really scares some people. Yep. Right? Exactly. And so he, he goes into um, what, is it, what is eternal life? What is this hope that God offers us as of eternal life? And I find that so profound because what he shows is that we don't want life that's just one day after another. Mm. Right? And I'm 42 now, and you can hit that in, in kind of midlife where yep. one day after another, we're just going, do the same thing yeah. every day, get it's up. old. Yeah, and uh, Benedict uses that, right, to drive a point of the life that Christ offers us mm. is not eternal so much in quantity, but in quality. Wow. Right, it's the, it's the fullness of joy in its perfection, mm. right? It's almost like, mm. like the most perfect thing ever just freezes and you're caught there. That's awesome. Yeah. We experience that. You know, we experience little glimpses of that in this life. Yeah, we do. If, if there's moments that are elating, like you're standing on a beach and like you lose track of time. Yep. It's like that, that's a little taste of eternity, the eternal now. Exactly. Right? And I, I, I love his gentleness because that takes a lot of sensitivity, not just to God, but to people. As a great theologian who's obviously way in, into his faith, and you can lose touch with, with some of those fears, those fears that people who are on the outside have. Yes. Or who are more... Uh, you know, novice in their faith, where it's yes. like, that idea of forever, just, I'm not sure if I even want what you're yeah. selling. What, what am I going to do on day 3 billion, 400 yeah. million, 27? Right, right, right. But he was totally aware, and I love, he, he, he talks about how Jesus said in really gentle terms, because it's hard for the human brain to relate with, yep. he said, Jesus promised us in my Father's house there are many rooms. Yes. If there weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. Yeah. And like, he just met us with the most simple, humble terms. I also love how he, he kind of admits, and this is, this is uncommon among spiritual masters mm -hmm. just to say like hey i don't really know yeah I and to be that. okay with that isn't that great there's that mm -hmm. humility in that yeah. but i actually lose touch with because it's like there's a tendency in a kind of a scholastic kind of catholicism to say well if i don't know i therefore must make sense of yes it's like no you don't have to yeah. there's that cloud of unknowing and kind of resting like I'm not gonna know. Yeah, an entrance into the mystery, and that's that he loves that. There's theme, a joy in that, right? Something bigger than me. I don't have to. I don't have to own the truth. The truth can own me. 
Dang. And yes. I into it. And uh, he says that when he, he talks about heaven, that um, it's not that pe- the Christians know the details of what awaits them. Like, we're, we're as clueless as the pagan in some ways. Yeah, that's right. Right? Uh, but they know in general terms that life will not end in emptiness. Like, wow, yeah, that's, I, I that's really don't know what's going to happen. And only when the future is certain as a positive reality does it become possible to live the present well. I think that one line kind of sums up the entire thing. That's a great line. Yeah. Um, I, I know that what's coming is good, therefore. Yep. Therefore what? Like, therefore everything else. Yeah. Uh, that Josephine Bakita line, she's, how she summed up her life. Uh, Isn't again, that beautiful? Oh, oh, yeah, the, the Peron, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but the yeah, master. The master, and... yes. Oh, that, that line hit me too. She, she was talking about how at, at, when she was a slave, Josephine Bakita had been a slave and, um, and was rescued and then became a Catholic, a religious sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said as a slave, that, that, or he reflected as a slave, that, that at best she was a useful servant. Which when he, there were so many things that hit me in different sides that I didn't expect. It was like, wow, sure. I think of myself that way sometimes. Like, sure. and then the Lord's like, no, no, you're my son. Like, you're not just a useful servant. But she summed up her life. This woman who forgot her name because she was beaten and traumatized. Yeah. Never saw her family again. Uh, had, had 144 lashes on her body. Right. Summed up her life by saying, I'm definitely loved. Whatever happens to me, I'm awaited by love, and so my life is good. Yep. Period. Yeah. Amen. I mean. And- <clears throat> It, it is so profound, and one of the things, and we, we've touched on it a little bit, but, the, but I think you're right, that line sums up the encyclical, Yeah. and he has, he has a line, let me see if I can find it, if yeah. I think it's... Uh, Geek out on this. He's, he talks Space about... Space Alvey, have to read it, read Space Alvey, read the whole thing, chew on it. Yeah, just a simple line here, so, uh, he says, faith is not merely a personal reaching out mm. toward things to come that are still totally absent. Mm. So hope's not just, you know, and faith isn't just, oh, there's something out there that I don't know about and I'm going to just hope it's there and I'm going to kind of yes. have this feeling that somehow it's there. But he says, um, faith rather, it gives us something. It gives us even now something of the reality we are waiting for. Uh, and this present reality constitutes for us a proof of the things that are still unseen. And this is the key line. Mm. Faith draws the future into the present. <laughs> I love that. I, I, that, isn't that. Isn't that profound? And I think <clears throat> he talks so much in this encyclical about how if there really is a hope that's grounded in truth, mm. today is different. Yes. I may not be there yet, but today is different because I can live for that truth. Yes. And uh, so much of the encyclical, a lot of the sections I love of it, I am talking about that. Like, the, what's that mean? How does that play out? Yeah, so, so... Today's different now. So today, because heaven is real, yeah. so if God's going to make all things right, yeah. and, I, and, and this is another theme that ties with this, in the encyclical, it's not just my hope. Mm. It's our hope. Mm. And he, he spends a great deal of time talking about hope is communal. That was convicting to me, that, that section. Isn't that powerful? It is. But it yeah. affects today because if God... So if God's going to make all things right, which he will. In Christ, all things will be made new. All things will be made as they should be and infinitely better than we ever could imagine. Mm. If that is the case, my life today is meaningful because I am working towards that with God. Mm. Right? And the difficulties we face, the questions, the doubts, the hard parts, I can get through them because I know that it's not in vain. Because the end is good. Yeah. Yeah, and the way that communal part was convicting to me, and again, there were so many convicting things. Like, this was like yeah. literally, 
I just felt like clean water just flushing my spirit out yeah. as I was reading these truths. Uh, but it, a spirituality that becomes personal and falls back into purely personal or just says mass on Zoom is good enough for me. It's distracted because it's easier. Yep. It's just easier because people are difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Myself included. We are. We're very difficult. Yeah. And, and the clarity through this again and again, it kept coming back to you're not saved alone. This is a communal hope. You become part of a people that's on their way to heaven yep. uh, and lean into that. And none of us can understand our own lives apart from others. Mm. My life makes yeah. no sense apart from your life. We've, we've become mm. friends, we've interacted, and that changes people. And he, he, he talks about that with the last judgment. And the last judgment is something we should hope for mm. because in the last judgment, God will make things right. Mm. And, <clears throat> but my judgment involves you and your judgment involves me because we've encountered each other in this life and in the um, reality of our baptism, yep. you and I became brothers in Christ. Yes. And so our lives are intertwined. And then there's the intertwining with the people that, like he mentioned this, the, the needs in the world, like the, the people that we're not even going to meet in this life. You know, when you have a view of, of eternity, that I'm going to stand before the throne of God with the poor guy from Haiti, yep. with the person who got aborted, we're all going to be there as equal humans. Yes. And I have an accountability to them that people who don't believe in God or final judgment can live life pretending they don't have that final accountability. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's the basis for an entire worldview Mm -hmm. that says we should take care of other people. Mm -hmm. uh, that, this is the kind of stuff. He also mentioned this in the encyclical, that we take this for granted. Like Christians just kind of see this world this way, that uh, people who grew up in a Christian, or at least a post-Christian culture, kind of see the world this way, mm -hmm. but take for granted where that came from. Yes, that's true. Like that's TM, Jesus. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, yes. We, yeah. we didn't think of the poor like we do before Jesus. Oh, uh, that's absolutely true, yeah. We, we, we didn't think of how, that we should have hope. Yep. Yeah, no, it, change, it changes everything. I think, I think a really important uh, <clears throat> word in this encyclical for us today, he, I don't know if you remember, he has that section on, um, he kind of traces some of the history, and you see again how brilliant his mind is. Yeah. He takes really complex movements of history, and he very simply just shows you how it, how it leads and what it leads to. Mm. But he talks about how when we lose this hope of heaven, politics becomes everything. That never happens in the church. <laughs> <laughs> or, in, or in the modern world. Yeah, never. Right? right? right. It, but it's true though, right? Yeah, and I, I think that's a really important thing right now in our country, in our church, yeah. is that if we, if we take our hearts and our minds off of heaven, mm. that that's where all things will be right. And in our culture, because they don't believe in God. The culture doesn't believe in God anymore, so what they do is they fight over politics. That's it. Because this is, what, this is all we have. And he traces how we got there, and he spends a lot of time talking about communism and Karl Marx. Yep. Uh, and what happens is when you lose God, when you lose this vision of there's this hope where all things are going to be made right in Christ, if you don't have that, what you do is you say, we've got to do it ourselves. Yeah. And he talks about how then we once dreamed of the kingdom of God, but now we're left with the kingdom of man. Mm. That part purified my, my spirit, too. Not that I'm a Marxist, because I'm super I, not a Marxist. I didn't, but, I didn't think you were. I had some questions, but... Yeah, but no. it, it, that concept of um, we start to work for a perfection in this life and start to gripe, frankly, in my case, whenever I see the lack. Yes. And I, and I apply this to my ministry, to, to, uh, to my family life that I'm trying to build perfectly, yep. to finances. You could do this as a priest with your parish where it's like, I, I got to become at peace with the fact that I'm going to die with everything half done 
and the floor not, not clean. Yeah. I'm going to drop dead that way. <laughs> and it's okay because it's not about this life. That's right. And it, it's so tempting. I, I do this all the time is I, I make it about my project. Yeah, yeah. And, and I try to kind of have God like distantly like, okay, Father Brian, he, actually God never calls me Father. He's like, okay, Brian, you know, I, I kind of call him, I'm like, okay, I want schlep. God, to, yeah, exactly. I want God to just bless it, you know. Yeah, yeah. But really, I've, you know, we've got to go through, um, one of my favorite scripture scholars calls it a Copernican revolution, mm-hmm. right? And Copernicus, right, was the one who discovered that it wasn't the earth that um, orbited the sun, but the sun that orbited, or the it wasn't the sun that orbited the Earth, but the Earth that orbits the yeah, sun. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. I, I forget. It's where I'm, I'm out of science class. I'm out of astronomy. But the sun's my favorite planet. No, go ahead. Sorry. I know that quote. <laughs> but he says, um, he says we have to go through that revolution because so many Christians, what we do is we think we're the center mm-hmm. and that God orbits us. And I do that all the time. Yes, we I do live that, that all way, the time. Dude. And I forget that actually my life is meant to go around His plan. But, yes. There's a difference between you and God. God never thinks he's you. He did not just say that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but when we, when we live for those, like, like heaven is the reward. That I'm on his plan. That I'm not, I don't even need to see that my plan's working. Yep. That, uh, that who, who, you know, however these ministries are working, whatever it is, um, that's all made possible by knowing that the reward he's got for me is better. And I love how he, he talked about the early Christians. Uh, and he quoted Hebrews. He said, you had compassion on the prisoner. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property mm. since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And when I, I read that and his reflection on it, I thought, the early Christians and those martyrs, they weren't even being selfless. They had so much surety that, that it, there was something in their right. spirit that was like, this isn't about selfishness. It's about like, this house doesn't matter. This life doesn't matter. My yeah. accomplishments don't matter. Heaven's better. Because I gave up all this garbage. Yeah. It's a, that's a, a great image. Yeah. And that's, what, that's what makes marriage possible in hard times. That's what makes priesthood possible in hard times. Where it's like, yeah. this is not just about me like white-knuckling it to the finish line. Yeah. Uh, and just giving it all up. It's like, no, I'm, there's something better because I'm giving this up. It's so true. My favorite, <clears throat> my favorite image of hope, I think you've probably heard me talk about it. It's not from this encyclical, actually. I mean... Space Odyssey is incredible. I imagine Pope Benedict knows this, but there's um, the French poet Charles Peggy. He wrote a poem. We, all, where we he, all know, as we all know. As we all know, Charles <laughs> Peggy. Charles Peggy. He wrote this beautiful poem. I, if you're out there, I'd encourage you to read it. It's called The Portal of the Mystery of Hope. But in that poem, he personifies hope as a little girl. Mm. And he says, Hope is that little girl that when you're out walking, that she's always pulling you somewhere. Mm. And like that quote you mentioned from mm. Hebrews, for the early Christians and for all of us, mm. it's so easy for me to just kind of get stuck in today mm. and just kind of give up yeah, and become complacent. Yeah, And hope is this, I think it's such a powerful, beautiful image. Hope is this little girl that's pulling me by my arm and saying, Brian, come with me. Mm. Like, I want to go there. <laughs> yeah. And it does. And I think that quote from Hebrews, hope pulls us. It moves us. It keeps us when, it, there's, when it's, we've, we're down and out again, and I gave another bad sermon, and I'm not managing the parish well, and I just can't put up with yeah. the despair in our culture. Hope is that little girl that just pulls me yes. to keep going, right? Yes. And there's, I love the word redemption throughout this entire encyclical, mm. that it, it keeps you going, and it redeems you 
from the people whose hope is in, in this life only. Yep. Right? Uh, if your hope is only in this life, you're then a slave to all the things you hope in. Yes. And he, he, he gets away with doing this in a way that would be really hard if you didn't have genuine humility mm. to where he just straight out just says, like, if you don't have God, you hope in things, yep. but you don't have an ultimate hope. Yep. And you're therefore a slave to all those things you hope in. Yep. And then he goes even further, like specifically Jesus. If you don't have faith in a God who loves and died for you and with you, you don't have ultimate hope if you don't have that God. Yes. Uh, so the, the boldness in that. It, he does, yeah. You know, and, and humility at the same time where he gets away with it. It's a beautiful combination. Mm. It's a beautiful combination of those two, those two virtues, really. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, it reminds me of, there's a, St. Augustine has a famous sermon where he says, everyone believes something, everyone hopes for something, and everyone loves some, something or someone. Mm. But he says, show me what it is you believe, what it is you hope for, and who it is you love, and I'll show you how Christian your heart really is. Isn't that beautiful? But, I, but that's right. Everyone hopes for something. I hope for traffic to, you know, yes. go well. I, and people have all these smaller hopes. But you point this out. Mm. He, he talks about this in Space mm. Alvi that we want an ultimate <clears throat> hope. Mm. If, I get, if traffic goes great, if I get the house that I want, even if you have a great marriage, and obviously I'm not married, it's not enough. It's not enough, you know? And you and Natalie have a beautiful marriage. Yeah. But you two together, I think, have learned, and I'd love to hear about this, you guys, I feel like you have joined your hopes together in your love for God. Yes. Right? And, and as, as the years go by, there's, um, and he becomes more the center of our marriage, this might sound almost cold, but there grows a, a, a healthy detachment yep. to where I... I, I get more comfortable with the idea of she will die someday or I will die someday. And Benedict talks about this, um, how love transforms the, the lover and beloved. Yep. And yet, in this life, if that's all you had, it's terrifying. But we, the human heart needs a love that does not die. Yep. Uh, and as, as we get closer to that love, um, and I get more comfortable with the idea of like, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, like I'll be on your couch, um, uh, you know, in a fetal position if she dies for about yes. a month or two and asking for bourbon. But yes. <laughs> once I get out of the fetal position and you help me stay sober, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know will. the Lord is there. Yeah. And yet, because of that detachment, I'm able to enjoy my marriage more than ever. Yeah. Because it's not this like clinging, and again, it's, it's a redemption from this person is now my all. Yeah. Like talk about a recipe for a disastrous marriage. Yeah. And and if, but if it's like, I can enjoy it because it's not, she's not my all. Yeah. She's not the answer to the the longing of everything that's in me. Yeah, he does, it's, he touches on that when he talks about Hebrews 11.1. 1. Mm. So Hebrews 11 says, um, faith is the substance of things unseen, mm. the conviction of things hoped for. Mm. And <clears throat> Benedict goes into the word substance, if you remember. And he talks about, and he contrasts it with the quote you, I forget which verse that is in Hebrews, but the one you quoted earlier. Yeah, yeah. It's he in can, there. Trust us. It's in there. It's in there. It's, as you know, Hebrews will say, as it says somewhere in Scripture. <laughs> he was a Catholic. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is somewhere in Scripture. <laughs> somewhere in the Bible. Somewhere in the Bible. Um, but it contrasts the word substance. And uh, what is the, the substance of our life? And one sense of substance is like money and material things. Mm. And so my material possessions kind of give me something to live on, right? Like it's the substance of my life. 
But he goes on and he says, but faith is much deeper. And I think this is what you're talking about with Natalie, is that for us to really live, what do I really need for life? Uh, we usually will say, I need, I need money and I need um, kind of physical necessities. That's fine. But Benedict wants to push on the heart and say, don't you need more than that? And in fact, not just more than that, don't you need the, the reality of love, faith, and hope? Don't those things actually make us human? And if we have, if Natalie's eternal salvation is something that's not fragile, but is something secure, mm. that's a substance. Mm. I can build my life on that. Yes. That there is a hope that is stable and secure. Mm. Does that make so much? Oh, it's I, gorgeous. And this God who's, who's love, who offers us real hope, it overturns man's approach to God throughout history. I, I think of uh, Benedict's book on Intro to Christianity when he's mm -hmm. Reisinger. Yes. And, and he talked about how all, all the gods of the Greeks and Romans and the gods of, of uh, most pagan religions and indigenous cultures were gods where we essentially were worshiping what we need. Yep. If, if you're a god of war, well, then I need you to help me win a war. Yes. You're a god of sex, of food, of all these things. Uh, but then I become a slave to what I need. And yep. my hope is in what I need. His, his section on prayer blew my mind in this, I, yes. and I didn't expect it to. Uh, I, I never expect these things to blow my mind, probably because I'm proud and I think, oh, I got it all together. Well, he's a better, encyclicals <laughs> are usually pretty dry, but this one's not. Oh, no, it's his, incredible. Yeah, so prayer. But it, 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 it talks about Augustine defines prayer as an exercise of desire. Man was created for greatness for God himself. He was created to be filled by God, but his heart is too small for the greatness to which it is destined. It must be stretched. And then he says, to pray is not to step outside history and withdraw to our private corner of happiness. When we pray properly, we undergo a process of inner purification that opens us to God and thus our fellow human beings. In prayer, we learn what we truly can ask of God, what's worthy of God. We can't pray against others. Like he's saying obvious things, but it's like, right. yeah, I guess I can't. That we, that we can't ask that. for superficial, comfortable things that we desire in this moment. It's like we, when you, it, it goes to that question that Jesus asked at the beginning of John's gospel. What are you looking for? This is about aligning your hope to the right place. And when I bring my heart with honesty to the throne of God, uh, I often feel like, well, something's wrong if I'm too distracted in prayer. Yep. And the Lord's saying, no, no, no. You're coming close to the fire, getting purified. You're, you're coming before my throne with your messy heart. Yep. And your desires are wrong. Let's fix them yep. to give you redemption yep. from the wrong desires. Isn't that, Augustine is all about desire. Mm. And I, I have to remember that in prayer too, that... When I, when I leave my prayer time, a friend of mine used to say, he said really, really simply one day to me, he just said, he said, I just remembered that when I leave my prayer time, I'm not supposed to know more about God, but I'm actually supposed to desire Him more. Mm. <clears throat> and it, I love that because he talks about prayer as a school of hope, right? A mm. training ground in hope. A school of hope. That's beautiful. Right? Isn't it? And yes. so much, and again, I think it goes back to what we said earlier of, a natural, normal thing to do, and I don't think it's bad, is that we, so many Christians in our prayer time, we ask God to bless the things that we are doing. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. Yeah, It's beautiful to, to ask God uh, to enter into our lives and to bless the ones we loved and our work and all the things we do. But what if prayer became a place where my heart mm. was filled with a yearning and a desire for Christ? Mm. Right? That's... <laughs> Man, I just that just feels good to sing. That. Yeah, right. And that's and that and I know in my own prayer time, that's when I've really felt like I've had a good holy hour. Is 
Yeah. When I leave yeah. and I'm thinking, Jesus, I, I just desire you more. Yes. And to come before God was, here's another beautiful thing that his humility shines through. That when we come before God saying, here's where I'm not desiring you. Like, he, he's okay exposing himself to God in that way. Yeah. But this one hermit told me that for him to pray is to be naked before God who is naked before us on the cross. Wow, that's beautiful. I'm like, dude, that's heavy. Um, but when you hope in his, in his love for you, you can be honest. That, that, that's what enables repentance. It's not beating the tar to yourself, but a yep. repentance that, like, I, I could stand up before you. And, and he, because he, he's, he's talking about this honesty with himself, and he said, if God does not exist, perhaps I have to seek refuge in lies because there's no one who can forgive me. Yes. But I can actually lay it all out there because I hope in forgiveness and redemption. Oh, dang, we're out of time. I, <laughs> this is sad. You have to read this book. You have to read Space Salvi. I got to have you back and talk about your own conversion story and te testimony and why you're that. a priest and all that stuff. Uh, and I want to end with this quote that's from the end of Space Salvi. And he talks about the saints. And he said, life is like a voyage in the sea of history, often dark and stormy. A voyage in which we watch for the stars that indicate the route. The true stars in our life are the people who have lived good lives. They are lights of hope. So thank you, Lord, for the light of hope that is Pope Benedict XVI. We pray that he would rest in peace. We pray that he'd be canonized, too, because I sure, I sure believe he's a saint. Thanks for being a light hey, in my life, brother. Likewise. Yeah. Make sure you're a light in the lives of other people. God bless you. Man, wasn't that great? Listen, if you don't want to be happy, be sure not to subscribe. But if you want a more joyful life, the kind of life that God created you for, the kind of life Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life to the full, then make sure you hit subscribe and share this channel with everybody you know.